Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Need expert advice on your family's health? Speak to us today at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Good morning, you're very welcome to the show. And before we meet our panel, let's have a quick look at the front pages. Uh, the Sunday Independent leading with revealed the inside story of how the RTE chair resigned. And uh, they also say in that story that a number of experienced people have already been approached with the government ideally expecting uh, an appointment ideally expected this week as to the new chair of the RTE board, according to government sources. The Business Post, Martin's RTE defence falls apart is their headline. And uh, this is... Um, which you probably should explain that, that three of the minister's most senior officials were explicitly told in October that RT board and its chair, Shunni Rahali, were required to sign off on exit packages at the broadcaster. That happened at the Public Accounts Committee on October 12th. Uh, the Sunday Times, RTE paid four million in exit packages to executives. This is over the course of a decade. Uh, the Irish Mail on Sunday... Uh, has new RTE exit deal agreed by Backhurst, a job created for an executive axed within 18 months. So RTE Director General Kevin Backhurst has confirmed a controversial role that was created for the former Head of Current Affairs in 2022 was made redundant within 18 months. Uh, the Sunday World, uh, it's, the headline is Breaking Mad and this is the um, the Kerry Crystal Met story. Another angle on this, an ex-Finnegale TD Jimmy Deanahan is rubbishing internet rumours that um, Nathan MacDonald, who is one of the uh, people charged in relation to that, was asked to stand for the party for Finnegale in the general election. And The Sun on Sunday has a story about... Um, Irish-made parts apparently being found in uh, Russian drones in Ukraine. Okay, so our panel this morning, Alison O'Connor is a columnist with the Sunday Times. Professor Alan Barrett is director of the ESRI. Louise Bayliss is the founder of Spark and campaign coordinator for Focus Ireland. And Oshin Cochran is the chief executive of Friends of the Earth Ireland. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Brendan. Alison, you have picked the front page of the Sunday Independent. Um, actually, inside the Sunday Independent, Colin Murphy says that there are resignations, people that we will remember why they resigned and people that we don't remember why they resigned. Even at this near juncture, I feel if anyone could take us through in plain English what happened this week and why Shuni Rahali resigned, you could do it for us. I still feel it's a short straw, Brendan, flattered and all as I am. And I have I have written it down. I will say for the start, I did a back of the envelope um, tot there. I think if you go back to when this first started now, I know you've had some holidays for occasional good behaviour. But this programme has likely discussed this subject for the last 35 Sundays, um, give, give or take a few. And, and it never gets over. And once more, <laughs> once more with feeling. So la- this day last week la- or last weekend, uh, Minister Catherine Martin was reading about how the, R- the RTE board, via its remuneration committee, had signed off on a package for Richard Collins, the former chief financial officer. Now, she was surprised because she believed that the board didn't have a role in doing such a thing. And last week, she had two meetings with Shuni Rahalik, the former chair of the RTE board, also attended by Kevin Backhurst, the director general. And twice the minister asked the, the chair of the board, um, had, there, had there actually been board approval for this exit package? And she was told there was not board approval. 
Then on Thursday... Uh, can I, I interrupt yeah. you for a sec, just for clarity? The minister did seem to say she asked Shuni Rahali, did you or the board? Or the board, approve? yes. Is that right? Indeed. You are the board. And also, I suppose it's important to point out that Shuni Rahali, while chair of the board, also there's only three people on the remuneration committee and she's one of them, uh, is, the other, is the other point. Okay. Um, so then on Thursday, Shuni Rahali gets back onto the department and she says, actually, I've checked back on the minutes and the deal was approved. Now, this is the bit of it where you start getting thinking, what, how, how could you not remember that? But this is this is how it happened. The minister then uh, later that day sends an email to the chair saying that she wants to talk to her the next morning. But in the meantime, she goes on primetime, uh, which I was actually watching, uh, watching live on Thursday night. And in a really an extraordinary interview, which I can tell you completely and utterly shocked um, uh, government colleagues. I know that she said she briefed the three coalition leaders. I don't know about the state of knowledge of Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader. But as I know it, uh, the other two leaders knew she was going on, but had no idea that she was basically going to um, uh, make Shun or Ali's position untenable live on air. So... Shuna Rahlik basically had no choice. Um, she stood down. Now, we see from that she has also said that she did, in fact, on the 10th of October, contact the former director general of the department, now retired, and tell her that Richard Collins' exit package, package had been approved. Also, as you mentioned there, the Business Post story saying that um, uh, the former uh, Paula Maluli, formerly of this parish, uh, no longer, uh, told the Public Accounts Committee, the former legal director, um, about the package and that that meeting was attended by the same um, uh, well, Secretary General. And they, she process. told them that the, yeah. about the process. About the, the process. The, about the process. The yeah. Board, yeah. The remuneration yeah. board would oversee. Yeah. And I think it and should be added to the minister. Allison, isn't there? Yes. That was sent by the board, board. not to lose people. No, but yeah. there were three attempts. Yeah. Would that be right? Yes. From one side, side to, to tell yeah. the minister the piece of information yes. she wasn't but, told, and there are varying yeah. reasons why. And to be fair to the the other thing to be fair to the minister would be to say I think the minister was also pretty irked that she had been under the impression that Rory Coveney uh, he of uh, choice of the musical fame that she she thought his was just an ordinary uh, departure that in fact there was a, there was a, a, a package involved um, The third one was a D4 designation where that Shewan hadn't told well, indeed, going back to, that this is the start of if you yeah, like maybe some bad blood okay. between um between the two. I'll come um, on to the others. So so wh- where does this leave the the minister now, in your opinion? Right well, in now? my opinion, and I'm writing at the Sunday Times this morning, that the minister really has um, not performed well, to my mind, on this from the start. She has sort of, um, she hasn't been sure-footed. She hasn't shown much political news. Um, she is now, after bringing, uh, dragging the government into it um, because it's a coalition government and none of them, you know, want want to be forced into an election or to have a big row. They are standing behind her. However, um, they are sort of stunned by what by what she did. And there's been mutterings from the start right back to last summer when she basically said to people, you know, she gave them an excuse not to have to 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 pay their TV license fee. <clears throat> and I mean, I just think that it does, you know, to my mind, she should be moved. She should be taken out of that department. I think RTE is in 
very clear and present danger now. It is absolutely an existential crisis. Um, at the end of the week, that we RT could. Yeah, I, I just be, think yeah. it's far. I think it's far too. Uh, the whole thing now is far too uncertain, and that you need a very firm political hand, somebody there in the background guiding things. Who uh, who has political experience? I know Catherine Martin has a good reputation for things she did during the pandemic, uh, with regard to to artists and our cultural life. But to my mind, that has not. We have had no display of um, of competence, really, and that sounds quite harsh. And I think that that makes it a very very dangerous situation now for RT. Okay. I mean, she has n- neither led nor sort of uh, given given you know or given leadership when it has been really needed it's not well, fair to say that that uh, under another minister this possibly wouldn't have dragged on for 35 mornings sitting here talking about it I, I think it's hard to say for sure she certainly did not make it better this week and she blew up her own strategy which was to stay out of it until she got the reports on the bits that are more more to do with her her situation, which is the review of governance and the review of culture, which the government has said are the prerequisites for the funding solution, because I think this is the real question here. And Daniel Murray has a piece on this in the the Business Post. What is the sustainable funding model for public service media in Ireland into the future? Because in 20 years time, we will not remember why Shunni Rahala resigned this week. But we will know whether or not this government, unlike previous governments, has found a solution to make uh, RTE fit for purpose for a very competitive digital media market into the future. And she's made it much more difficult for herself or for the government to come up with that now in, in the next few months. Okay. That's the, I suppose that is the bigger picture. Um, Alan, you picked that piece on the front of the Sunday Independent as well, inside Story of Ministers Bombshell and Primetime. And we'll come on to the licence fee and the funding and everything, but just on, on this matter. Yeah, actually, I, I, I only chose it because uh, I felt I had to choose it. OK, and, and let, <laughs> let me put it like this. I'm reminded my uh, colleague Pete Lawn, uh, who's a regular contributor to your, uh, your show. Uh, Pete used to have a line of research uh, which looked at products and complex products and the capacity of the human brain to take on like many, many characteristics of a product. Okay. And a lot of the research showed just how quickly the human brain breaks down. Now, the relevance of this to the current story is there are so many sort of twists and turns and nuances and everything like that. I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of people reading the papers today will probably give up after about three or four paragraphs. Okay. That there's just simply a level of detail uh, that is probably going to leave most people cold. I suppose the drama of Thursday night did wake people up into the well, story you know, again. Funnily but, enough, but then like, it became very but, complex. But Brendan, again, if very I could quickly. just push back a man that ever so slightly, I think Neve Smith was on the radio, this the, the the chair of the media committee on Friday morning, and she made reference to something like, "Oh well, the, you know, obviously the whole country were glued to the prime time." Uh, I didn't watch the prime time interview. Um, you know, okay, so the the chair of RTE uh, has been removed. Most people in the country don't yeah. know who the chair of RTE is, and most you, people don't really. Is, well, it's like a poor chair. No, but I I I, I think is I do think that when you're in the bubble, you mm. can make the mistake that something is going on and that people are interested. I do think people have been invested in this. I mean, when you consider that last summer, yeah. so yeah. many of us from I've heard of people by pools by the Mediterranean but that's on Ryan yachts. Yeah. Yeah. Sure but, no, yeah. but I'm saying and exactly. the flip flops and all of that. But I'm saying there is investment. There is a level of knowledge. There is people being, and this is important politically, there is people being thinking, 
that bloody thing will never end. What the hell are the government? But Alison, if I can just come back to no, but I think the 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 most people in the country are looking on. Okay, they are interested in in the broader issue. I think of RTE, the future of RTE how they're going to have to pay for, or you know, all, all these sort of things. But in terms of, of Shuni Rahlu, whom I, whom I don't know and I believe would be a very, very fine person, um, there will be a new chair of RTE over the next week or two who will be a very, very fine person and who will go in and they will do that job as best they can. That, that story will move on very, very quickly. Catherine Martin will survive this, OK? You know, there's the, she, she's not going to be forced to resign or, or, or anything like that. So the world will move on. And so it's just the, the reporting today. I mean, it's, it's, it's important from a, you know, a re, if you think in terms of, you know, newspapers or record or whatever like that. All, the only point I'm making is I honestly think the vast majority of the people looking on will, will come away not with the level of detail but just with an impression yeah. okay and the yeah. impression is ongoing chaos yeah. who precisely is responsible for all this chaos we don't know it's really important politically that again we get control of this situation but the next sort of critical appointment is the new chair of the board okay and the restoration then of, of, of sort of you know absolute confidence and the risk is okay the Louis, their eyes hang on just one second because Louise hasn't been in yet Louise, would, 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 you're you're maybe not in the same bubble as say as say Alison or, or me. Would, yeah. d- would you agree with what Alan is saying? I, I absolutely agree. I think Alan's approach is very pragmatic. I think people do. Uh, Alison's right in there that there was an investment and, you know, the flip-flop story, um, um, Ryan Tuberty, all of that was very exciting last summer. People are now saying just get to grips with it, just take over control. And and, and I suppose last Thursday's Minister Martin, it was quite shocking and it is, you know, the talk of the town the next day. I didn't watch it live, but I did watch back on the clip to, you know, to to get it. But I I think the, the real concern I would have would be who will be the replacement for the like who would want to do that job for 31 and a half thousand because from what you're hearing there's a lot of work goes into not just attending the meetings but reading up on the governance and making sure all of that's done and I would be concerned that to have a minister publicly admin, admonish or admin, you know against Sean I wouldn't do that job for 31 and a half thousand and I'm sure there would be a lot of people who would back away from it and that would be the concern I'd have from last Thursday. But I agree with Alan, people will not remember the details, they'll just... But um, it does It does give people a further excuse not to pay yeah. their licence fee, I think, That's to true. see themselves and as being very justified in it. OK, on, it the, also on the board me- issue, are, are they going to have difficulty finding someone... Jeez, I have to tell you, I mean, you'd, you'd want to be having a pretty... Uh, either of a very robust character, <laughs> of a great commitment to public service um, to take it on, wouldn't you? I, I, I think like, Oshin, there are people on high salaries and a perceived lack of accountability ar- around them uh, and, and payoffs when people go sometimes and all of that kind of thing. This is a very uh, high profile role so accountable that you can be kind of, as some people have described, more or less defenestrated on live television and they're paying 31000 for it. Yeah, I And no payoff. Maybe they dad in danger money, don't they? Maybe I'm naive, but I think there are, and I know the, the Daily Mail lists some candidates, there are people uh, who have the credentials and who will feel a, pub, a call to public service, like who, who are invested enough in public service media to say... They do. They will relish the challenge of giving it a go. Plus, of course, whoever takes it now has a, will have a lot of of brownie points. They'll have a lot of leverage, uh, and they'll have a lot of authority, uh, both towards the DG and towards the, the the minister in particular. You think there will be manners on everybody around whoever takes it now? 
Yeah, I would think more so. More manners for, than for, there were around. And they may, maybe they'll have maybe they'll have a a, a a lever to make the government you know get on with the actual. But job. just one other point. Yeah. They'll also know what they're getting into. Yeah. I mean, in fairness to Shuni Rahala, I mean, she she got the job, and in, in the case of Kevin, Bat- like all of this happened or blew up subsequent and there's a bit of a sense then I think where people are, are, are trying to sort of you know deal with the crisis as well as well as learning how, how to deal with crisis the incoming person okay will know what the, uh, what's involved they'll also know how to set down the ground rules with the minister and with the department and to make sure that certain things that have previously happened uh, won't happen but I, I have no doubt and again there are names we mentioned in the paper already it is still a really important job okay whereby if it is done well um, I think the rewards, it's not really a financial issue, uh, but I have no doubt uh, that a very, very I don't person have that confidence. I mean, on the basis that I think a lot of people, particularly people here in RTE, are quite shook after this week in terms of Kevin Backhurst, who in terms of the, the revealing now confidentiality clauses and exit packages are very common. I have sympathy with that. If you want somebody to go, mm. particularly in a, an organisation such as this, you do have to pay them off. But Kevin Backhurst could certainly have been more open in front of the Oireachtas Committee recently, even giving an overall sum since 2016. Here's how many people left. Here was to be seen. And then and also maybe saying, look, I'd love to be able to tell you. But like the Sunday Times has a story today, John Mooney and Bo Donnelly, who've done very well on this story, saying that RTE has paid out almost four million in termination benefits to senior executives over the course of a decade. And they talk about the largest outlay in one year was in 2012 is 900,000. Now, I could be wrong here, but looking at that, that is a year after the Mission to Pray programme in primetime, which, as we know, had an awful lot of um, fallout. So it's and I know that within government, what is annoying them so much is this constant drip drip and another one today on the on the front of the mail well and that will i'll tell you something in terms of rank and file people in here the notion this is the, this idea that there was a 150 and we don't know the figure on that yeah for for um for david nelly uh, and the job was axed within 18 months that if that if it turns out that there was a, an exit package paid there it, I mean, people in this organisation, the rank and file people have suffered so much. Mm. And I can tell you now that that the words red rag to a bull. And this in job terms was of that created uh, for, for David Nally. Yes, more or less. Yes. It was not um, it was not advertised. No. And, and it was able to be suppressed. Within exactly. Whoever takes months. the exactly. job of chair needs to be a champion for the journalists and the creatives and the production people in here who have been you know, who are ploughing the furrow of public service broadcasting despite the chaos going on around them. Yeah, because um, I think it should be noted that RTE output has continued and I think it has continued to the quality it has always been throughout all this. And And I think leadership has come from Mm. within the organisation and down the organisation and on teams and within teams and people sucking up stuff again this morning and And having to put it aside and get on with the Great sport on Twitter and elsewhere to be critical of RTE. But like if you look around the world of of media from here to the States or from the UK to the States, we would miss it if it went. We would miss some common shared broadcasting infrastructure. If we're relying, if you look at the US where local media is, is gone, you know, the New York Times and a couple of others make money uh, and, and the political campaigns are relying on their own content being shared on social media because Facebook doesn't even cover news anymore. Like if, if we want to have a shared p- politics, a shared civil society, we need a public service broadcaster. Alan, can mm-hmm. I ask you, you are the director 
of a publicly funded organisation, correct? Yeah. Is there a board overseeing that? And there everything? is a board overseeing, yeah. yes, I report to a board. Are you shocked by the corporate governance levels in an, in, yeah. in a, an equivalent organisation? Mm. Like, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quite blown away by it. Um, now the and, and I think again from from sort of state bodies, true true bodies that receive a lot of state funding. I mean, most of them will explain this to you. You you are kind of regulated uh, very very heavily and correctly. I mean, I don't think people sort of complain about this. Um, but I mean, in, in the case of the SRI, we're subject to a, an overall arching framework called uh, the Code of Governance for State Bodies. This is a really really detailed uh, set of instructions for how you to to run the organisation. We're audited by the controller and auditor general. Uh, so needless to say, that's a, a major event uh, every year. Uh, we have an annual uh, oversight agreement with our parent department, which is the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. So we meet with the civil servants every year, basically saying, what are we going to do? We prepared a document to explain what we're going to do with the money that we get. We have an annual meeting with the minister. And I mean, just at a very, uh, you know, the SRI is a small uh, organisation relative what's to your, What's your budget? Uh, our, our total budget is around 10 million a year. Um, okay. But but and, and there, but there can I just sort of say, there, but just mm. just so we're we're, we're clear here mm. on how it works elsewhere. Mm. So you have a budget of ten million a year, and it sounds mm. to me like you feel that there is massive oversight on you and massive regulation. Oh, completely. On you. And, 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 and and does and it does it feel to you looking at RTE as if those same strictures were in place, or does it seem no, like a different planet? No, not at all. Because I mean, when I could, I mean, different planet completely. And I, I, just to give you a, a tiny little example, uh, I'm a, a, on a network uh, with other chief executives of state agencies but I mean when somebody was talking one day about they weren't allowed buy a bouquet of flowers for a staff member who had had a baby Okay, like the the sort of the restrictions are so. Now again, nobody necessarily complains about this. You know, it's fair and proper that we're spending state spending state money, and we need to be very very careful about it. Uh, But but you know the the level of information that is required, the level of oversight, and last point I want to make is back to Shin Ralik's. What was the phrase? uh, Neglecting to recall. To recollect. Uh, When you're at the meeting with the minister, the annual meeting, you prepare within an inch of your life. You absolutely make sure that all the information you were giving not just written but verbally and if there's any doubt you would you would absolutely make sure that you would go back and, and check and not make any mistakes because uh, these are really really important uh, okay. I, yeah, I just would add yes. I'm on a board of, yeah. of TROR so I take that responsibility very seriously TROR is TROR is the Unmarried Parents Federation okay. and so I'm on the board of that and I chair their policy subcommittee and the regulations as Alan said is quite severe like we, we have to go through everything and um, justify how we're spending things. Everything is minuted and, you know, we've all had to give in our documentation into um, the charities regulator. We're registered um, in in the board, in the Crow. So we have all these regulations and and as Alan said, if any type of spending, it really, there's no discretionary spending. We have to account for everything and we do. And I was actually And I'm sure you feel at times as if you're over-regulated. There must be times when you're given out about paperwork and having to... Absolutely. I mean, if you're going into a meeting, there's a lot of work going into a meeting. I will spend a whole Sunday reading through all the board reports, making sure I'm picking up everything and that, you know, then going through the minutes, making sure that anything that was said is recorded and we're doing that. And it's a huge responsibility. And getting back to that, though, 
it it does seem like I I take my responsibility very seriously. Um, but I was looking at there was an article in the Sunday Independent, page twelve, with Wayne O'Connor, I think it was, and it's talking about the National Council the Parents, Parents Council and the scandal in that. And I, when I was reading through it, and and they were putting in subsistence claims of five hundred euro a month. I have never got one cent out of drawer, like not one cent. You know, any meetings I go to, I go to my own time. Okay, yeah. I I pay my travel there. I, I've gotten the odd lunch at the AGM, but I mean, it's, you know, the standard plate. That is the height of any reward I've ever gotten. So to see the level, I, I, what I'm shocked, I suppose, is that how how some organisations or boards can get away with that and how others feel so regulated and rightly so. And then just even on the last point, if you remember back in, I think it was October, November, there was an article, I think, um, around women's aid. They held a, a party, a summer party in a park across the way. And they were questioned on why they bought pizzas at this party for their staff. And, uh, you know, the CEO, Sarah Benson, came out and she said, you know, we underpay our staff. We're, we're, we're less paid than in the private sector. And we treated them to a pizza. It's part of staff retention and I justify that to anyone. But that's how much regulation mm. was that the pizza mm. in the in an outdoor picnic was regulated. I think it's a, it, just to bring things forward a little bit oh, now in terms of to bring it back even to the to the situation in regard to RT right at the moment. You have a board that apparently is incensed uh, with the minister at the treatment of their former chair, Shuni Rahali. Um, you have a government looking for a new chair. You have the Finnefall chair of the Oireachtas Media Committee, Neave Smith, having called in the Green Party minister uh, to answer questions this week. You have um, the Labour Party having called uh, for the minister to resign. Sinn Féin being quite careful and just calling on her to answer questions in the doll. And you have the government wondering whether there may be um, a vote of confidence in the minister. So, I mean, I'm afraid you better buckle up for next Sunday, Brendan. And um, the minister, so the minister is going in front of yeah. the media committee for yes. three hours on Tuesday. Yes. A, a danger there? Or? Well, there? I think that there most certainly could be danger there. And um, we we, you, we won't know until it happens or how even in terms of that business post story about about her executive, about the, the people in the department um, being informed about the, the exit package. But I go back to what I said earlier. My fears about the very foundations of RTE coming under threat here and this sense of things that things could possibly just kind of spin out of control. And that's where I think that politically... Um, this thing really needs to be grabbed a hold of. And then equally on the RTE side, they really need do need to up their game and under the new chair in terms of stop the drip drip, be more transparent. And that's the only way this thing is going to change and, and move on. OK, I think we've tested people's patience enough with that. So possibly <laughs> will we take a break? Alison O'Connor, Prof- Professor Alan Barr, Louise Bayliss and Nusheen Coughlin staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Okay, our panel is still with us. Alison O'Connor, Alan Barrett, Louise Bayliss and Oisín Coughlin. Um, Oisín, I heard the uh, Minister for Higher Education on with Clare Byrne on Friday and he made, one point he made was that the, what we were talking about for the last uh, half an hour uh, has distorted uh, the political discussion and the, the news agenda in this country for a long time now. So there are other politics around. Uh, You picked, there's a poll in the Sunday Business Post today 
Uh, Sinn Féin stems drop in support but no bounce for government. You, it's Shane Coleman's piece on that. Yes, I picked that uh, and they could Leo opt for a Spanish surprise in the mail and because I think uh, Minister uh, Harris is correct. Like There's very little on the Ukraine in the papers today and not much on, on Gaza either. Um, but anyway, there is a poll which shows uh, Sinn Féin back up three percentage points uh, and Fine Gael and Fine Foyle and, and the Greens are Actually, you know what? I'll just, I'll just give people the, okay. the numbers on that and then you can talk. So, so Sinn Féin is 28% up three points. Fine Gael, 20. No change. Fianna Fáil, 16% down one point since the last poll. Uh, Independence, 14% down one point. Social Democrats, 7% up one point. Labour, 4%. No change. Green Party, 3% down a point. Uh, People Before Profit, Solidarity, 3%. No change. And AIN2, 3%. No change. And that's a random sample of 1,009 adults online from Friday the 19th to Wednesday the 21st of February. And the margin of error is plus or minus. Is three percent. I'm sorry about that. That's right. And I, I mean, I've been hearing and reading that that it, speculation that if Sinn Fein continue to drop, and, and we haven't seen the, if there's another Irish Times poll before the end of the referendum, it might be interesting. But if there was any sort of trend down for Sinn Fein, that that Leo might be tempted to go even sooner, like before the local elections. Uh, this the the Shane Coleman's analysis here is the f- fact that Sinn Fein is steady to come back up again uh, will temper those with those temptation th- that temptation. On the other hand, uh, John Drennan's writing in, in the uh, Mail on Sunday. That Leo could opt for a Spanish surprise, which is that in the result after after bad regional elections in Spain last year, Pedro Sanchez pulled the plug and went straight to the company and said, "Well, if that's the case, you know, I'm going to test the public. You know, do you really want to go that way?" Or back me or sack me? Exactly, uh, and came out surprisingly well and is is back is well more or less well and is back in 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 power now. So the suggestion here is that depending on what happens in the. Uh, in the local elections, European elections in June, that Leo might go to the country in the summer as opposed to have to wait for October or November in the winter, uh, based either on, you know, Sinn Féin doing, either way, doing doing well, cough, catch them off guard, or if they're doing badly, uh, go while you have an advantage. So they were, they, they were suggesting it could, either which way, that could be tempting because the summer is a nicer time to have an election, although obviously people may be on holidays. Yeah. I've noticed, Alison, that um, a couple of things now they say not in the lifetime of, of this government now. So there was, uh, they they said it about the spinal surgery, that mm-hmm. that's not going to be fixed in the lifetime of this government. Yep. They said it about the children's hospital, but kind of in a different way, that yep. oh, this government will only give so much. But it's as if they're already, in a way, kind of saying, well, look, job done here and we're winding down now. Lucinda Creighton today in the Business Post is saying, should Leo come out and do the opposite to mm. what Oshin was talking about? And rule it out. I'm going full term and, and, and just, you know, stop this messing. You have theories always around well, I think election that, timing. You've managed to make me sound sort of like me or they are half mad. <laughs> um, uh, the I suppose even if he did, as Lucinda says, there will still be speculation. And I think particularly because Fine Gael have a history of maybe mistiming their calls. Um, and I think, uh, I suppose, certainly the, the they and Fianna Fáil will be disappointed to see that Sinn Féin are, are, are back up in the business post poll. But I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Shane Coleman in saying that it's difficult to know the reasons for that. Um, Sinn Féin were certainly shook by by the the last couple of polls and are being more careful of late. I suppose the I mean my sense of it at the moment is that people think that there will be a, an earlier budget and that the Taoiseach will go uh, for an election sort of around around October. Right at the moment that's looking likely. Uh, I still think there is good political justification for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, the Greens current coalition 
to go earlier than that. You're giving Sinn Féin more time to gather themselves and get a bit more momentum. Find candidates, probably. Fine, still, yeah. yeah. And But I think it's, as, as Shane Coleman is saying here, that she, it, on the current results that you had out there, Sinn Féin is still a long way short of the level of support required for it to, to lead a government. So there is there is that element of, of all to play. When for. you say early, would they, would they go like with or before the Europeans. You see, there are so many. I mean, you have to even look at the immigration thing that if that I mean, things have quietened down slightly, not in in Jahada, obviously, but I think it's going to be desperately hard for the parties to corral their candidates in where you see. I mean, we saw Mayo County Council voting on mass in terms of uh, immigration uh, there recently that in in places where it's been hotly contested that candidates won't come out with more anti-immigration so you rhetoric. Mean in the local elections. In the local elections. And that that, you could say, would be even a reason to try. But I even think that at the level of um, at the level of a national election, even with TDs and possibly ministers, that that could be difficult. And the other argument being that if, if the government, the coalition parties, don't do well in the local election, if you had the general election before it to preempt that you're not li- dealing with the... The, the overhang of that and the perception that they have failed. So, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole mix of dynamics. I don't envy um, Leo Varadkar in trying to decide wh- when it might be. And there's it, there's plus and minuses, you know, on a, for a couple of different dates. Louise, you picked a, a, a related piece in the Sunday Times, Gary Murphy's column. Yeah, I thought Gary Murphy talked about the abuse of politicians and um and, and how especially it's it's relevant to um the likes of women and Annie Hoey had spoken about it on Morning Ireland and and I think uh, I, you know you, you can absolutely and I, I would put it down since the since we've had COVID that things do seem to have become more polarised and the art of debating has been gone the respectful debating and I suppose in my own personal life I suppose I've been you know Spark which obviously I am a spokesperson for have been involved in the referendum because obviously we would want our families to be included under the constitution and you know we've done some yeah, some look, posts look, and yeah, yeah exactly but yeah, right and now. I'm not getting yeah. into that but what I will say is when you put up something the animosity that you receive on twitter is just absolutely appalling is it and, has it changed has yeah i definitely changed since do the pandemic, i definitely yeah. do but I, I think you know i've been involved in you know different campaigns over the years and would put up things and you could get a respectful debate that just seems to be gone it, it's you put up something You'd and the animosity I don't know if you'd agree, Louise, but for the safety of politicians, and I would even see something in recent weeks like Michael O'Leary, the head of Reiner, his remarks about Eamon Ryan, um, that sort of talk. Is, is really dangerous. Um, yeah. Holly Curran said to close her constituency, her constituency office. office. Yeah. Um, and Paul Kyo at the Fine Gael TD, who said he's not said that social media abuse uh, does have a role um, in, in his decision to stand down. It's really, really tough. I, no matter what a politician would put up on social media. And in fact, they don't even have to put things up. It's things but even Roderick O'Gorman oh, oh, last saw the video week when he, when the Burks, it's just abusive at this stage. In yeah. that instance, if you watch that video and it's um, uh, Enoch Burke's mother and his sister, I don't see why the Gardaí did not. If I was Roderick O'Gorman, I mean, I felt so sorry for the minister. I would have felt utterly terrified. They were very close to him. They were very threatening. It happened over quite a... I don't know why his car wasn't parked closer, but they should have been taken away from his orbit. Mm. He's a minister of this country and he should be offered proper protection. It's just wrong.
Okay. Um, we move on because there's a lot going on, uh, actually. Um, Alan, you're a football man. Mm. And uh, Mark Ty is writing about the FAI today, and we saw them before a committee mm. during the week. And actually, uh, emails that the committee didn't have a chance to read uh, because well, they got them at half nine in the morning. Yeah, look, I mean, there are parallels here uh, with, with the RTE issue in the sense you have these sort of, you know, governance issues at the top. Um, but, you know, the vast majority of people who are interested in football are not agonising about the boardroom antics. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, we had a pretty remarkable um, appearance from the FAI uh, before the uh, Anoroctus Committee uh, during the week uh, when they d- delivered material uh, extremely late, heavily redacted. Uh, I think there was one uh, piece of paper which seemed to have actually everything redacted apart from a logo. Um, and... Like this is in the context of, again, an organisation that has been severely criticised for the manner in which it's run its internal affairs. So, again, you would have expected that they would be sort of so uh, eager to put their best foot forward. The notion that they would uh, rock up to an Oroctus committee um, basically with the sort of the prep work done as badly as it was and then with this rather strange story uh, that as a result of a joke and a throwaway remark uh, the chief executive was paid an extra uh, 11,500 euro so it it, it, it it creates a sort of just a, a, a bad sense and again what's unfortunate about it I think for the real soccer supporters the things they are interested in okay at a grassroots level the FAI did launch a, a strategy document this week about the development of, of the uh, of football in Ireland from the grassroots and that's like you know everybody accepts that's really important and then the other important issue of course is the uh, ongoing failure to appoint a uh, a manager to the senior men's team so you have the things that really matter to the folks uh, on the ground and then parallel to it you have this sort of uh, messy uh, un- yeah. un- unappealing sloppiness uh, at the top So who should just, they get as a manager this is like the new chair of RT you know who, who wants the manager's job at this stage Well actually interestingly while I was speaking with complete confidence earlier on that RTE would get a terrific chairperson <laughs> my, my confidence on this particular <laughs> issue is, is a good deal thinner uh, No it is part of the sort of the uh, for the fan base it is rather depressing uh, uh, that not only have they not got a manager, uh, but they seem to have terrible trouble, uh, you know, attracting high profile candidates. And I think this is the first time I can remember that, that things are, are as bad. Uh, so obviously everybody is talking about Lee Carsley. He was the, the one they really wanted. Uh, but there's been a fascinating discussion emerging um, and the, the, it runs along the following lines. There's a lot of people now being mentioned who have very patchy managerial careers. OK, so Chris Coleman was the, the one who was mentioned recently out of great success with Wales but his club management was was, was patchy uh, to put it mildly Ma- managed to get Sunderland uh, demoted uh, relegated in, in, into League One uh, but somebody was making the point that if, if we're going to have people with poor patchy managerial yeah. careers why not go for Roy Keane because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it, you get know, a bit of showbiz in there anyway at least you know he, he has an equally patchy managerial okay. career yeah. but he'll, he'll bring the punters in and give us something to talk about so it, I mean that's not an ideal criterion but at the rate things are going uh, you you can kind of see the appeal yeah yeah but they're so busy redacting emails etc etc and and convoluting themselves with governance that they haven't seen things as clearly as you are seeing them alan um louise can we talk about we keep bouncing on right can we talk about housing for, for a minute because like Again, like there was, there were probably thirty-five weeks in a row where we talked about housing a, a year ago, and again, this kind of 
existential thing that is underlies everything in the economy uh, not, uh, and in people's lives. Not huge conversation. But you've picked two pieces. Um, one is pensioners of tomorrow affording to rent in the Sunday Times and the other is a piece with Owen McGee that Neve Horn did first time buyers now need 15 years to save enough for a deposit. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting and Alan Barrett will rec- remember this. The the ESRI Ira pu- published a report about two years ago now, Alan, about the about what will happen to current people who are now maybe in their mid-30s if they do not get mortgages and the cost of when they turn pension, how they will continue to pay for rent. So at the moment, I suppose the report basically was saying we, we used to help people first-time buyers get onto the property ladder. We'd support them through mortgage interest relief in different ways. And we and do that, help them. Uh, no, and we do. Yeah, but, but, but we didn't for a while, but we are getting back. Housing for All has a, a huge commitment in that. So we did help people, but there are people in their mid-30s now who are going to find it difficult to get housing. And if they don't get housing, if they don't own their own house or are not in so- social housing and they're renting in the private rental sector, that's all fine until they reach pension age. And then they will not be able to pay the current rents on a pension. And that's where we will end up having to supplement people's incomes. So at the moment, the pension, 270 a week, is not a massive amount, but if your housing costs are paid, it's livable. But if you are continuing to rent, either the state will have to up the state pension or give huge supplements to housing. And that's that's quite scary. And then there is an article, Neve Horan had an article then, um, where she spoke about Owen McGee, who's the financial whiz in, in RTE, and he talked about he looked at the average salary, upped it by 20% and said the would be 50,000. So somebody on 50,000, um, it would take them on current salaries to save 15 years to save to buy a house if they were doing it on their own as a single person. And that single person demographic is rising. So there, there's this big cohort of people who are going to find it very hard to struggle to get a house. Because also, if you are on the 50,000, you're probably age 30, you know, you've done your degree, you've done your master's, you've started working, you're on the 50,000 salary. 15 years on, you're 45. Will you get a mortgage at 45? You know, so there's all this big fear and we need to look at it. And then I suppose I'm thinking of that because I was doing a bit of work for Focus yesterday and looking at housing and homelessness over the last 10 years. So in 2014, there was an average of 32 families a month becoming homeless. That has now over quadrupled and we see 32 families um, a, a, week. A, a week becoming homeless. Yeah. You and know, see, and, and, the and idea it, as well of being uh, an elder person and having, you know, worked all your life or, or not, but contributed all your life and be there in your old age worrying about if you can pay the rent and everything. Alan? No, just to... Um, also in the article uh, that Louise is talking about, there was a fascinating statistic, though, OK? And it said the population growth in the European Union, OK, from 2012 to 2023, OK? So you take that 11-year period. Across the European Union, population growth was 1.8%. In Ireland, over the same period, the population grew by 13%. Whoa. OK? And I think the, the reason behind that, or for mentioning it, is it just it puts our housing problem in context, or at least explains what a huge proportion of our population, of our housing uh, problem is that our population is just surging. Okay, now house in, uh, house building has increased. Okay, the numbers are moving up. It needs to move up an awful lot further. Uh, but you know there, there is a huge problem here, which is almost related. It's a problem of success because another uh, statistic out during the week 
uh, there's something like now 2.7 million people working in Ireland. There's more people, you know, working in Ireland than ever before. And I look at these figures closely, but I was amazed again just to see uh, the strength of the labour force and to see the strength of employment growth. But back to Louise's point, that issue, our pension system was designed at a point where the vast majority of people who are retiring were homeowners. Yeah. Okay, that, that's, that, that's really how it's designed. So we really do need to think about it. And it's not just renters. You also have a lot of people who are lucky enough to get a mortgage who are going to be paying mortgages mm. well into their 70s. And that was another story, I think, during the week where there's a company now offering mortgages up to the age of 80. Wow. Okay, we'll take a break. Alison O'Connor, Alan Barrett, Louise Bayliss and Nushin Coughlin staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back, Alison O'Connor, Alan Barrett, Louise Bayliss and Oshin Coughlin still with us. Oshin, I haven't given you any chance to be friendly to the earth yet, so uh, let, let's give you uh, an outing on, on matters green. So the, you've picked the Business Post poll, public divided on plans to remove private cars from Dublin city centre. And again, to remind people, a sample of 1,009 adults and the margin of error plus or minus 3%. But yeah, so there are ambitious plans to... Uh, Reclaim the Dublin city centre for for people not in cars for for people on, for people who are pedestrians and enjoying the, enjoying shopping and and, and recreation, uh, and actually the, the 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 consultation done by Dublin City Council had lots of uh, had a majority solidly in favour of it. Self selected majority. Yes, but those yes. who put in those uh, who were interested. Yes, but often yeah. often in those Most sort of public consultations, like to ignore these things yeah, until they read no, them in the paper and then go, "This is outrageous." For true, yeah. for, for sure. But actually, mostly in public consultations, it's those exercised against things that tend to participate. Okay. So when, yeah, you, when, yeah. you, when you get a, a majority in favour in a public consultation, that's actually interesting. And the okay. same is true in Dunleary on their Living Streets initiative. Anyway, now the Business Post has polled, and it's very evenly split. It's thirty four percent in favour. 31% don't know and 36% against. So it's a third, a third, a third. So, I mean, that's something to work with, I suppose, from, from my point of view. Because, <laughs> because actually the ESI had a report during the week which, which showed him that um, people actually don't like the idea of some of these changes, not these particular ones, but these kinds of changes around transport, but they enjoy the experience of the new setup once they get there. So there is a, there is a bit of... So we just need to tell them what's good for them and well, move it along. No, I mean, there is a public consultation, a very high participation public, yeah, public okay. consultation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but to some degree, uh, city councillors and, and the executive need to push through now and do it and let people experience it. Uh, I mean, we saw that during COVID Does where these things were done... Agree? on a trial basis and people uh, enjoy Alison, it. you think just... I think it. that it's, uh, it is a case of take the cod liver oil uh, uh, I, because it's good for us that as Oshin just said that it, it's classically Irish once it's done then everyone is like isn't this just the best thing ever? <laughs> I think there's a reflexive thing now that happens where people say oh those mad greens what are they up to now? And that that the media love nothing better than a headline that says those mad greens look at what they're up to now for things that are actually ultimately very good for us and for our health and for we. I was in Copenhagen uh, the week before last, the most gorgeous city that seems to have been designed with its citizens in mind. You literally feel your shoulders coming down as you walk along. If you're on a water bus run by electricity, no diesel belching into the harbour. In fact, there are swimming areas. It's a city on two, on both sides of the water. They have swimming areas, pools all the way up the side, which I believe are absolutely jammed during the summer. People are, I'm terrified to cycle in Dublin. I cycled all over Copenhagen. Um, you know, they look forward and they have, they do appear. I don't know enough about Danish media to know how they cover these things. But I think they do have a population that is that is behind. The, and even the area that we stayed in used to be once underwater. 
a long, long time ago was reclaimed, used to be old shipping warehouses and is now a really gorgeous housing area. And all I could think of was Dublin Port and how amazing that would look. And all we hear about and the Greens actually do have years ago was the PDs, actually, who came up with an idea for putting housing down there and parks and all of that. Um, And now it's like, oh, no, we couldn't possibly. What about Dublin Port? Actually, even if you didn't move Dublin Port, you'd still get loads of houses in there. So I'd love a bit of imagination. Yeah, yeah. And like there, if you went, if I always think if you went on a city break to Dublin from somewhere else, you said they've got this incredible city on the bay and you can go swimming near the city and everything. But I know know Uh, junkets uh, are no longer. I would love to send a plane load of politicians to officials to Copenhagen. Mm. But again, the USA keeps finding that if you show people stuff, yeah. They they are better able to appreciate yeah. it. It's not exactly. Yeah. No. No. My my colleague uh, Shane Timmons uh, was talking about this earlier on in the week, and I mean, essentially, it's it's if if you do, and again, my colleagues sort of do these sort of experiments where you present people with the picture of you know this is what things could be like. And people seem to be fine with that and actually quite enthusiastic about it. It seems, though, that the, the, the way these p- processes work is that people start fixating on the disruption between getting from A to B. So you have the public consultations that will sort of say, oh, well, the traffic's going to be messed up or if we're building the metro or if we're doing this or we lose this bus stop. And, you know, the, so the, the, the focus uh, you know, c- can be on that. And obviously then there's people who, in a sense, want to disrupt mm-hmm. that sort of thing. They focus on the disruptive elements. Well, no, there are people. people you can't blame people up, up along the areas in the not, north, not, not, the not, north not of Dublin who not, are saying, no, you know, this is going to have huge impact on absolutely. my life, these Abs- massive uh, no, absolutely. walls but going the, up around the, the, the noise, What we everything. need to be able to do is sort of design processes where it's, I, I'm almost going to start talking about the silent majority and stuff like that, which is, is probably a bit dangerous. But very, very often, um, you know, the extent of which a, a, a very sort of small group, and very often actually it's it's not resident, very often it's uh, people, you know, with businesses, whatever, like they would get terribly worked up that, that somebody's not going to be able to drive right into them, uh, park outside and, and put all their shopping. But again, like some of the research showing during the week, that very, very often businesses that worry about these sort of transitions actually do quite well in the long run because people are much more likely to actually go into businesses that are in um, sort of person-friendly environments rather than yes. car-friendly yeah. environments. So people so, don't yeah. people don't know what's good for them. Louise, they, they, they the God, um, the twist, bottle twisting my word. The, I cannot <laughs> let that. The, the, I, I'll object and let you carry on. The bottle. Um, the, what, what is it called? The bottle scheme. The deposit and return scheme. The deposit yeah. and re- thank you for. I'd expect you to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you picked a piece in the Sunday Business Post on that. Now this is a woman from Coca-Cola saying not fair to expect any industry to fund returns and pay for later clean but I think you have a particular angle on it. I, I do have a particular angle on it because um, I was in, I'm on the Social Justice Committee of St Vincent de Paul and we had a meeting yesterday and there was a lady there from MABS and she was saying that they are concerned that it will impact on low income households in budgets and she particularly raised the topic of people in emergency accommodation where they're, they don't have access to drinking water you know in their hotel room so they're buying plastic bottles to, for the children to go to school with the plastic bottles they, that cost is being um, added on to the, to the bottles of water and then when the, will a child remember to bring the bottle home with them from school and if the child does bring the bottle home where does a parent in an emergency accommodation stored and there's this consideration that maybe that wasn't factored in that lower income households may not have that budget to sustain it and she raised that topic That's interesting isn't it Oshin that like I mean some of the green things can seem quite middle class to a lot of people 
Yes, that sounds like a, a, a really tough uh, situation, obviously, and obviously we need to we need to address the emergency accommodation crisis in the in the long run, and, and the deposit return scheme is only a tiny extra burden on those on those people. But uh, the polls and experience have shown that people like the deposit return scheme, uh, and in this case, it is that yes, there is an extra, an extra cost at the point of buying a disposable drink, but you can get it back. Uh, you can get it back when you but bring, the, the you bring the bottle back. But the practicalities of a well, child remembering to well, bring a bottle to be, home my, and then storing it to bring it back. My experience of, 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 the, of the pilots of these things, which are very particular circumstances, is that the kids are the best at it. The kids love the deposit return scheme and will be p- picking up the bottles all over the place to bring back and reclaim and reclaim the money. And now that's more generally, again, the specific instance of people in, in emergency accommodation should be looked at for sure. But they need a lot more wraparound supports than just Yeah, OK. Anyway, look, it'll all start working and we'll all be thrilled then, is that? That, that's the model. Well, that's most likely. Like as with the, as with the today, plastic bag tax, that you know it won't okay. work in, in theory, but it works in practice. Alison, can you tell us briefly uh, about the piece you picked in the Sunday Times about measles? Yeah, this is on the, the front of the Sunday Times by Julianne Corr. It's this this man who died, a forty eight year old man who died, uh, Pat Gorman from Milltown, Passon County, Westmeath. And very, it's 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 very affecting. His family is basically asking people to get vaccinated. Um, he was the first person to die from measles in Ireland in more than twenty years. But and, and his, a lovely, lovely a, oh, man. Oh, I mean, he, he was bus air. He was a bus driver. He was bus air and driver of the year in twenty nineteen. For years, he was on the Eden Dairy to Dublin route, then Mullingar to Dublin, and there was quotes from passengers about what a fabulous man he was and what a difference he made to them, um, to their lives. He seems to have been a very special person. And his brother Tom, his older brother, is saying that um, they weren't vaccinated as kids, so that he had never contracted measles as a child. So and and basically, they're saying, and I, I really admire them from coming out and saying this, advising other people. If to, they're saying if they talk about measles, if it can spare another family the heartache, that's what they we'd like to do. And it sounds like their brother was exactly the kind of person who would want them want them to do that. Okay, um, so it's eleven fifty eight, Oshin, which means it's our, our now weekly Taylor Swift <laughs> spot. Uh, you have picked a piece in the Mail on Sunday. Taylor Swift is as culturally important as Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Wordsworth. Yeah, well, that is the claim of of, of, a, of a someone in Oxford who did who did their graduate thesis uh, on this issue. But it's part of a story that the the uh, Victorian Albert Museum in London it has advertised for a Taylor Swift super fan advisor because she's such a cultural phenomenon that they need to start preparing now for the for the collection of Taylor <laughs> Swift uh, uh, memorabilia that will be important to future generations. And I speak as, as someone from a household who is actually a Olivia Rodrigo fan more than a Taylor Swift fan in my household. But uh, she's I mean, Time Person of the Year last year. She's one of the few. I was going to say she's one of the few unifying cultural phenomenon left but not if you're in the US where she's uh, no. you know it's a subject of bizarre conspiracy theories no we just yeah. need her to win the election now with, for, for them though it seems well, to be the Biden. general agreement yes. just, yeah. to, just to add there there's an article from Shane Lynch in one of the papers today and he talks about the satanic rituals that uh, Taylor Swift is involved in and Shane the Lynch formerly a boy's own yeah, she yeah who is now of course a very re- religious yeah, person yeah, okay yeah. I think we leave that set <laughs> sadly sadly <laughs> I missed that <laughs> that's it and on that bombshell uh, I find that our time is up <laughs> I'm like a therapist now I think our time is up thank you off you go uh, Alison O'Connor columnist with the Sunday Times Professor Alan Barrett director of the SRI Louise Bayliss founder of Spark and campaign coordinator of Focus Ireland and Ushin Coughlin chief executive for Friends of the Earth Ireland thank you all very much